Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Awareness Project. Today's episode is going to be called Environmentally Friendly Corona. And we are going to talk through all of the things that have happened in the last few months and how the planet by itself seems to have started healing itself of all of the pollutants that we have been putting into the environment over the last few decades. That being said, I'm going to introduce my colleague to you, Kunal, and he and I are going to discuss a lot of these points and a lot of these things that we've seen in the news, on television, etc., to make sure that all of us understand where we are today and how life as our normal is going to progress over the next few months and even years, probably. That being said, Kunal, do you have anything to add before we start? I know this is good. This is an interesting topic. I know we have always been focused on some of the negative impacts and people's livelihoods and such, but just talking about the environment and are there any positive impacts, something worth talking about. So I'm going to dive into some of the points that I've been reviewing over the last few months. The first one being that there's the obvious effect of coronavirus that has happened over the course of this whole tragedy is that there is massive amounts of reduction of nitrous oxide levels in the atmosphere, especially around big cities that have been the most polluted in the world. Cities like Beijing, New Delhi, Los Angeles, a lot of European cities. Even airport zones, they have seen a huge reduction in nitrous oxide and particulate matter over the last few months. What this has meant is that folks have now been able to enjoy how much ever that they can with all the restrictions in place. If they're able to go out or go to the rooftops, they're able to see clear skies. At night, they're able to see all the constellations and most importantly, be able to breathe very pollutant-free air. It has been said that in Los Angeles, the air quality is so good that the last generation was the one that had seen this good quality air over the skies of LA, which was about 40 or 50 years ago. So that gives you an indication of not having our activity on this planet for two months or having very reduced activity is causing the earth to bounce back and repair itself. That being said, one of the things that I actually want to discuss on this topic is how humanity is going to perceive this unintended gift and how we are going to take advantage of it. Let's start with that. How is it going to be beneficial for humanity? And how do you think that humanity going forward is going to take this unintended gift and use it for the greater good of mankind? Or do you think that people are going to revert back to what it was pre-corona or not take this into account? So, Kunal, yes, absolutely. There are a lot of short-term benefits that have happened with coronavirus, less reduced activity, with people commuting less, traveling less, as well as a lot of the industries not throwing pollutants in the air. I recently saw a picture of someone posted from the state of Punjab in India of the Himalayas, which are 100 miles away. And for the first time in 30 years, they could visually see the air looks a lot clearer. Even the pictures from NASA around the atmospheric air around some of the big cities show a visual decrease in a lot of the air pollutants. The air is clearer, certainly helps a lot of people who have problems such as asthma and such. So that's definitely a plus. Also see that even empirically, my neighborhood, I've seen more birds show up in my house. I've seen like a couple of foxes show up in the neighborhood and maybe we didn't notice before now that we have more time, but that's something that I've seen more of. At least feel that we are seeing more of and the nature start taking over where they had been pushed away at the boundaries. So having said that, I'm, at the same time, I'm not sure if this is just a short term impact and we get back to our previous normal. And that would be a really bad thing. And if we did that, ideally, we should use this as an opportunity 
to make systemic changes to how we do our work. And I know you are passionate in how you perceive cars and you want to talk about electric vehicles and such. But even as an industry, can this era be used to retool some of our industries to be more efficient, be more environmental friendly? Because the more and more we push the nature, the more and more we are going to see epidemics like this, earthquakes that happen more frequently, climate storms that happen more frequently. So things like that would definitely keep happening more and more often. Are we able to take advantage of this temporary lull in, in that? No, those are perfectly good points. I think that does convey a lot of sentiment that a lot of people that I know specifically have been echoing over the last few months and indeed even the last few years. But we also have to admit that the economy has to go on. In the short and medium term, I'm not exactly sure how we can curtail usage of our daily activities and still be economically viable or would there be business as usual but then governments would start coming down really hard on all other kind of industries including automotive industries where they would reduce or effectively have these industries reduce carbon emissions but that being said moving on to to the next topic was you know obviously mobility that we've been talking about so the biggest impact that we've seen over the last few years and the way people have been thinking has been electric vehicles. Tesla definitely comes to mind at this point. Um, They've been very successful over the last eight or nine years in selling tremendous amount of cars all over the planet. People have been happy actually to receive this alternative form of mobility and have adapted to it very well. How do we feel going forward that this will affect the way that people perceive mobility, number one? Do you think that people would be more inclined to move towards alternative fuels? Would it be electric? Would it be hydrogen power? I don't know. But do you think that people are going to take this a little more seriously now and ensure that we are maintaining some sort of plan to make sure that we don't completely destroy the planet? What do you think? Yeah, so I think people will take different lessons from this. And some people will obviously take the right lessons and some people will probably take the wrong lessons from this. So, and what I mean by right and wrong lessons, a few things come to mind. So there was a big trend towards ride sharing, for example. I definitely see that changing in our new normal ones. Uh, at least the impacts of coronavirus, things have changed. People will be very susceptible or will not be very inclined to go into ride sharing. Some people will feel very comfortable. We'll see no change. But I certainly feel like the majority would not be as inclined to take an Uber pool, for example, or cabs as much. So we might see, at least from that perspective, a drive towards more private ownership of cars. So there was a trend where people were foregoing their cars, especially in big cities and metros, taking more public transportation, taking more shared rides such as Uber pool and lift pools and so forth. So I see that trend reversing once things get back to normal. But other trends that might happen are people would look at this as something that's not environmentally friendly and might also push us in the direction of EV cars and such. And especially with the economics of scale happening where you're having a Tesla, which is 35,000, which is mass affordable. And if it gets to even a lower price point, that would be something that even regular buyers can afford. Then I think we'll see an irreversible trend towards that. However, there are potentially wrong lessons people will take out of this. And by that, what I mean is governments will push this to say, okay, our economies have been impacted. We will want to reduce all regulations around greenhouse emissions. We'll want to reduce regulations around how we can pollute our rivers, waters. And there's already been that trend with the current administration. And I think that will accelerate further in the guise of bringing back our economy. So I think that would be the wrong lesson to take from this. The right lesson would be bite the bullet take some short-term pain 
and retool our economy towards more sustainable. No, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think governments definitely need to learn from this and not take our planet for granted, right? It's also a living organism that needs to eat and breathe and survive. And that's something that people forget every single day, take advantage of it. And having an unhealthy planet is going to affect us all going forward. Also, that being said, adding to what you just discussed, there are also a lot of cities around the world that are doing this currently as we speak. So if you go to Europe, especially northern and central Europe, the trend has been to move away from cars completely, especially in big cities and use bicycles for one. Secondly, cities like London are already levying heavy amounts of tax on cars that are big pollutants, have a lot of carbon emissions, and more importantly, have certain designations in terms of engine size, in terms of performance, while they are a little more lax to hybrids and electric vehicles that fly on their streets. Do you think uh, countries like the United States or India and China, per se, are going to take those drastic steps? Or do we feel that, as you mentioned, that business as usual and maybe clamping down more on reviving economies and forgetting about the planet in the short and medium term? So each country has its own specific nuance. Right? So things that happen in Europe uh, are very unlikely to happen in the uh, United States. The whole foundation of United States has been around individual liberty and uh, not having government control every aspect of your life. So U.S. citizens only have a natural aversion to governments telling them how you should live your life, what you should do on a regular basis, and which makes complete sense to me. But having said that, there are also geographic factors that would prohibit a lot of this. It's a really a vast country. Some of the cities and outside of the metros, countries fairly spread out. There are other factors also. U.S. is generally focused on large pickup trucks and large cars. So people also feel the safety aspect of riding bicycles to work. Obviously, a lot of, lot of cities have taken advantage of that. I see a lot of trend towards commuting through bicycles in a lot of the western cities. Los Angeles and even San Francisco is one of the big proponents of it that come to mind. But other than that, I, I think it will be very sporadic in the rest of the country. That's one. But at the same time, I also feel it's a type of government. More right-leaning governments will have a different view on how they want to push on government, telling people whether they should emphasize more. As has been in the case of Europe, you can always use a carrot and stick approach. Your carrots could be, if you use certain form of transportation, more healthy form of transportation, you might get tech subsidies. And the stick might be, if you are using certain form of transportation, then if the cost of it is more prohibitive, people will naturally gravitate towards a cleaner and more sustainable form of transportation. So, is the approach we take. I personally don't see us taking the right approach currently or as long as we have a no, right No, that makes sense. Government. But I think to kind of add to your point, the thing that I was trying to emphasize is just talking about big metros. A lot of our pollution that we see in the United States also is around big, at least air pollution is around big metros. Cities like LA, San Francisco, the New Yorks, the Chicago's of the world, if they were to enforce stricter automobile regulations inside the limits of the city, and move towards more sustainable forms of transportation, maybe bicycles, maybe electric vehicles, electric buses, cars. Would it be something that the governments would be, or even local governments would be willing to try out? Or would it just receive that kind of backlash or pushback from federal governments or state governments to not go down that path? Yeah, so the right way to do this, and it's always different. There is no single approach that fits everyone. It has to be organic to begin with. So what we want to try out say, in our neighborhoods might be very different than what some other neighborhoods try out. So governments can always play a positive impact by providing the right incentives 
incentives but the plants still needs to be organic it has to come from the grassroots in what the citizens want with the federal government or the state governments providing the right incentives to help support the local governments towards our strike but unless it's organic people will always feel that the big government is trying to dictate what people want and how they should live their lives which is not no, going to go well with anyone sense, right so i, I think we we just, so we just need now? to wait and see how this plays out over the next few months and if human local government agencies become a little more responsible and understand what is at stake and maybe take some of these actions at grassroots levels just for the micro constituencies and make sure that those places are getting the benefits of alternative forms of transportation and make sure people are educated enough in those different ways of transportation to make sure that we are supplying the earth enough resources to heal itself and not go down that rabbit hole where maybe 20 30 years down the line the damages might truly be irreparable so the mm-hmm. next point that i wanted to bring up and this is again related to what we were talking about is seeing that the unintended consequences of corona have caused things to start getting better at least from a climate standpoint do you think that in terms of other industries like the airline industries or your shipping industries governments will introduce blackout days so for instance every month you would have 5 to 10 days and this is again i'm being very optimistic right but having 5 to 10 days where there is no activity whatsoever economic or commercial where flights are not going to be taking off from airport x and going to airport y carrying people goods whatever or even ships cargo ships are not allowed to fly through the waters just to make sure that we are giving the earth a break every few days to heal itself on the damage that we have been doing and in the meantime having regulations where alternative forms of energy usage for planes and and ships might be developed do you think that's something that would happen or do you think that everyone as you said we're going to clamp down and all this thing is going to be thrown out the window for now until the economies are back up to what they used to be yeah so le- let's think through this one right because uh, even in the first place i don't know if having say a timeout or a blackout dates or such makes a lot of sense because is is that an artificial way of doing it or what is a more so my, uh, organic my way of doing those things right so sort of a short yeah, medium term yep. solution that medium we can term. give so you know as you said the automotive industry the way that the regulations have gone through a lot of countries now are being forced to move towards a more sustainable form of energy that they use electricity or hydrogen related but to the point where every car is reducing its carbon monoxide pollution every single year in the uk by 2020 or 2021 it's supposed to be down to about 95 grams per kilometer for every manufacturer so maybe they institute something similar to that that maybe by 2035 2040 shipping industries that are building all these massive liners that are flying our oceans or even airliners they have to come down in terms of emissions and maybe have an alternative form of propulsion that will get them through without polluting the environment so i, I think an incentive that would make sense to me right it's uh, something that has been talked about a lot around carbon tax but i think i would want to take this a step further instead of a carbon tax the way we should be organizing our economies around more of a pollution tax so that can take forms of carbon that can take form of nitrogen oxide or even tons and tons of pollutants that are thrown in the oceans by cruise liners and others so can we have again the whole approach of carrot and stick where we incentivize good behavior and we at least penalize bad behavior then way to penalize is not to at least in my 
my mind would not be around having blackout dates or stopping people from travel but make it onerous on people to do that right now a lot of people prefer cruises because they are super cheap can get all you want to eat for say 1000 bucks a week and you can go from one country to other so that has democratized the whole process make it affordable for a lot of people with uh, regular salaries to make their cruise or make that trip of a lifetime which is great however there are consequences to mankind to humanity to the environment and to our our cruise lines for example are some of the biggest polluters in the world they are generally based outside of us to skirt a lot of the governmental rules and regulations that prohibit those kind of activities so if you see most of the cruise lines even though the biggest customers are us based they are generally based out of bahamas or the based out of the caribbean where rules are generally relaxed so a way for us to avoid this would be to have a more centralized government based incentives where the cruise lines and others are not able to take those shortcut by just flying a flag from a country that has lax regulation can we incentivize the work in, in that direction i think those are the kind of things that would help to get it to a more sustainable way and any proceeds from that can then be channeled towards more sustainable cruises i was seeing a lot of research around having battery operated cruise lines and again a lot of this is in research phase we don't have any real ones that do that but you can still at the same time we can make it onerous on them to pollute the ocean even if we can't reduce the carbon they throw thousands of tons of pollutants in the ocean so can we make that onerous on on the right i mean lines, those are you know that, that definitely makes sense we are again talking about going back in terms of their economic development because these cruise liners right now they are depending on a mass of population that goes and uses their services every single year i think if i remember correctly each cruise line can accommodate 3 to 5000 people at one time they're basically floating giant cities in the ocean and i remember the time that i'd taken my one and only cruise through miami about 10 years ago the picture that is permanently etched in my memory is the minute that we pulled out of the miami harbor the plume of smoke that came out of it was massive and it was dark it was black there was a lot of particulate matter that came out of it it was basically black soot and my understanding is that each cruise liner today emits as much as billion cars do in one day which is massive when you think about it so if you extrapolate the amount of data in a year i don't know how many cruise liners are flying throughout the oceans right now but that is immense amount of pollution that goes into the atmosphere and probably a lot more than what we as humanity are used to in blaming automobiles for i do believe that cruises are definitely something that are good for educational purposes for kids just for people to take some rest and relaxation out of their daily schedules and they do take you to very nice places you know exotic islands whatever people can just rest and relax for a little bit but at the same time there has to be economies of scale also associated with the industry that being said on the flip side they have been taking a lot of advantage of licenses in certain countries that don't have very stringent rules but what i found very ironic and not to go off topic was when all of this hit they came running back to the US government to ask them for a bailout when they were not even registered as businesses in the United States so oh, exactly. I, i think that has to be some sort of oversight on this particular industry also where i do agree there has to be some sort of a carbon tax or value added tax or something that should be added to every person that's going on but more importantly we have to push all of the shipping industry to go towards a more sustainable form of propulsion and that also being said i am not entirely sure today's technology if they were to replace those very big diesel engines these are probably 3 to 4 to 5 stories high and weigh hundreds of thousands of tons i don't even know what the exact weight is but they are massive 
I can't imagine taking that particular propulsion out and making hulls of ships that are of, of lighter materials. I don't know if you can use carbon fiber or some magnesium-based material or even aluminum, which will reduce the weight of these vessels to a fraction of what they are. And then remove all of the propulsion system and replace it with something that over time, the next 5, 10, 15 years, even solar energy, for instance, we've seen solar panels getting smaller and smaller. Something like that, that would help replace the uh, original propulsion system, but at the same time, make sure that it's very energy efficient. And at least from carbon emissions and pollutant and a particulate emission standpoint, it would reduce tremendously. I don't know what your thoughts are, but this is some of the things that I've been thinking of in the last few days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one thing I still think about, and this is a pushback we'll get every time we propose something. It's Again, the big government wants to solve everything, and we don't agree with. That's one argument you will hear over and over again. Second argument you will hear is, by doing all this, you are adding cost to the consumers. People who were able to afford cruises now cannot afford it, especially the marginal travelers who have 3,000 expendable funds for a year, and now you're making it so expensive that they can't. Again, is that an elite way of looking at things that you want to save the earth, but at the same time, uh, common people cannot go in and travel, leverage the cruise lines and so forth. So those are some more philosophical questions that can be debated, but we all share responsibility in how we need to protect the environment, how we protect the earth. So we leave something behind for our kids and grandkids when time comes. If that's a goal that we can all aspire to, and again, the solutions can look differently if it's coming from the right, if it's coming from the left, but do we have a common set of principles that we can all agree with and then debate the outcomes? So right now, we don't seem to have a common set of principles that anyone agrees to. If you talk to anybody who are more right-leaning, their whole first thought would be, oh, well, government wants to rule my life. And this is not consumer-friendly. This is something I can't afford anymore, and this takes away my liberty and my choices. And if you talk to somebody from the left, the idea is, oh, this doesn't go far enough. We need to do more. The earth is going to die within the next 10, 12 years if we don't do enough. And this just doesn't go far enough. And we need more drastic draconian measures. So how do we bridge those? How do we come up with common principles that at least gives us a baseline to start with would be something worth discussing and coming no, up that with. That definitely makes sense. I think, as, as you said, I think we have a work cut out for us as a society, as as governing bodies and people who are, who are generally a little more in tune with the times will understand that what we do in the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to make a lot of difference down the road. Least of all, for nothing else, for the sake of our species. I think there's a lot that we have on our plate right now. And hopefully, you know, people make the right decision, which helps us move forward in the proper manner over the next few decades. So moving on to the next point, keeping the theme alive of alternative sources of energy. We have seen a lot of movement, at least in the last decade, to move away from traditional power stations, such as, uh, you know, nuclear power stations, hydroelectric power stations, etc., and going towards more sustainable sources like wind power and solar power. Especially solar power, we've seen a lot of houses in Western society move away from regular sources of electricity and adapt to a solar power supply. I have heard that a lot of people are now pushing back on solar power simply because they don't understand or they don't know exactly how the recycling process of these solar panels go. Also add to that that there is a lot of competition in the way that these are manufactured. And it seems that certain companies are not manufacturing these solar panels the right way, meaning that they are of lower quality. They don't last as long as they're supposed to. And they need to be replaced more frequently than people would like. That being said, if these solar panels, life expectancy is done, where are these solar panels being shipped off to? 
to be recycled? Is it a local operation or would it be something that would be akin to shipping of millions of computers and tablets and other personal electronic devices that have ended up in like Africa and East and South Asia, where they are now polluting rivers and small towns, whatever, where we see just mounds of these electronics just sitting around. A lot of people have brought this up that even for wind power, for instance, is that they're not being recycled properly and the intent of replacing polluting power sources with something like this and then on the back of it, not having proper channels to recycle is causing you know a lot of disdain and, and anger in, in people right now. Do you think there is any truth to this or do you think that this is just something that governments and local authorities need to address and placate people and make sure that they understand that this is a proper operation? So I think that brings up a very good point. Yes, there is a drive towards you know eco-friendly option, Green New Deal, but are we thinking through a lot of the implications? Are we thinking through the whole life cycle from manufacturing? How are these things being manufactured? Is this done in a sustainable way? How is the recycling done? Is this done in a sustainable way where harmful pollutants are not again impacting poor communities, third world countries, or even if it's done in the US, is it impacting our water supply or releasing harmful chemicals in the air? By no means am I an expert, but those are all the things we should think through in the entire life cycle. You know, just talking about solar panels briefly, what would make it work and what would make it sustainable? And I think we are getting to that inflection point is the the cost of installing and having solar panels compared to traditional rooftop. As long as the costs are similar in nature, you will see a rise. It's not like people do not want to have environmental friendly options, but with people on tight budgets, is that something they can afford to do without the right economies of scale or without the right technology in place? Tesla, the reason it has been so successful lately has been that they have been able to reduce their price point. You see that slowly becoming a mass production car with the 35,000 price point, which in many ways is still a fake. Realistically, if you add even some basic options, it's around 45, 50,000. But they've been able to bring down their cost for a comparable car from almost 80, 90,000 to 50,000. And if they can bring it down even further, I, I think that would incentive. I mean, I have no incentive to drive a gasoline powered car if I can get a 30K car with less maintenance, with better range, with better dynamics, and just better technology inside the car, right? Why would I want to? I'm not enamored by any specific car outside of maybe a Porsche uh, to not go for a Tesla. And same thing with my rooftop, right? Rooftop is even less of a concern. It's it's not a product that people think of. It's not something that they think of whether how would I be seen if I'm if I have rooftop type X versus a type Y. So given that the cost is a primary factor and if either through incentives or through other mechanisms by improving the research in reducing the cost of rooftops, I think if we can bring down the cost, that would go a long way in how we can make this more sustainable. But to your initial point, yes, we need to have think through the entire supply chain. It's just not the installation process. It's the whole whole chain from its manufacturing to the ultimate, you know, recycling of of those panels. Yeah, so I hope that, you know, people understand that there is a lot that goes on, just not the product that you see in front of you also, right? And I think that was one of the exactly. criticisms that a lot of hybrid cars, when, when they came out, and going back to the car analogy, uh, especially the Prius when it came out, and there were studies that were done at that point in time where they found that from the manufacturing process where they had to dig out rare materials from the earth, 
and which are only available in specific areas of the planet and then ship them through to the factories and then do assembly. It was like a global process and not localized. Whereas if you see a regular gas powered car, we had the Detroit three back in the day in Detroit and all over the United States. And now we have foreign manufacturers, even in the US, which are sourcing parts locally. So that supply chain itself is a lot simpler. It's easier to deal with. And more importantly, it's very economically friendly, right? So I think those are the, the conversations that people also need to have and figure out that, you know, what they're using. Is it actually just an advertisement or is it actually something that will help the planet heal over the long term? One of the things that people have been talking about over the last, at least the last three or four or five years, when all these hurricanes have started hitting the southern and eastern seaboard of the United States very hard. I think Katrina was something we saw about 15 years ago. And then slowly, it seems that these hurricanes have started gaining in strength and even frequency. One of the unintended consequences of pollution has been that the obviously the global ice caps have been melting, uh, sea levels have been rising, and more importantly, the worst ramification of that has been uh, underlying sea currents that have been displaced out of their original path. So one of the, the ones that comes to mind is the Gulf Stream. That's the current that originates, I think, in the Caribbean, the south of the United States, and goes all the way to Northern Europe, like the UK, Iceland, France, and Spain. And the unintended consequences of that has been is that the climates in those countries has been pretty moderate. UK, for instance, doesn't see a lot of snowfall. I don't think they've seen snow in a number of years. I know there have been some erratic snowfall that has happened over the last few years, but it's been like not even an inch or so. And they just get a lot of rain. It's not as cold as it should be, considering how high up it is in, in latitude. If you look at where UK and Iceland sit, they're the northern portions of where Canada sits. And that part of Canada gets hammered with heavy snow. If these water currents were to change direction, it would be catastrophic for these countries to survive. It would be untenable for people to live there. They would have to move, basically be unpliable in, in any shape way or form that you can think of. If coronavirus has caused the earth to heal, do you think people should start taking this seriously and try to negate the use? And again, it comes back to all the conversations we've been having so far and sort of negate the use of everything that we've invented so far. And, you know, as I said, which is a, a sore topic to not to say the least, have blackout days or, or certain ways that we can reduce the flow of emissions that we are causing so that some of these things can be repaired and put back into their normal process for the next few years or whatever until everything gets back to the point where we as a society can function and not destroy the planet. Yeah, th those are really great ideas to aspire to. Again, if you, but my worry broadly is that, you know, the execution of it there is no consensus on how we execute on it, right? Even if there are principles people will agree on, which is also very unlikely. There are, I think, a fragment of the society who believe that whole climate change is a hoax and that anything people are doing are mostly a left-leaning agenda to add carbon tax or just to control people's ways of life. We can't even have a baseline to work with. Finding solutions for those problems will be even harder. We, we can't even get to a common agreement that, yes, you know, this is a problem that needs worth tackling. Once we agree to it, then we have an exchange of ideas that, yes, this is, is a carbon tax the best way to go about it? Are incentives the best way to go about it? Or just having local governments provide incentives and community-driven approach to it, are those the right? And it could be a mix of all of those. But my worry broadly is that, you know, we just can't seem to get past that. And one of the topics I think we should talk about is how we bridge that gap, how we talk to each other without offending each other, how we come to a common agreement where there's so much news and things pretending as news when we just can't seem to get our 
consensus for the yeah, community. Yeah, that's, that's something that we definitely need to work towards as a society, right? I mean, there's a lot of hatred and a lot of finger pointing and trying to encourage herd mentality on both sides. And I think that's people need to understand and make sure that we are living as a single organism on this planet and not trying to pull it apart and destroy what we have. And it, I mean, we have to admit it's a great civilization. We've built a lot. We've achieved a lot. But not being careful now is going to cost us in the long run to a point where our technology and our way of thinking is not going to save us if cataclysmic events happen with such a large frequency that we won't be able to control it and we'll have to secede to the planet and and you know ultimately mother earth always wins so anyways that's it exactly. we're out of time thank you everyone for joining us today please follow us on instagram at the awarenessproject.us we also have a website the awarenessproject.us where you can see all of our latest episodes and more importantly you can find all of the podcast platforms that we are available on today again thank you everyone for joining us and have a great rest